Well, it's great to uh, get to be able to share with you this morning. Uh, my name is Rich, in case you're not quite sure who I am. Um, so I get the opportunity to share with you. So I'm excited about that. Um, and just real quick, something that I think is just really cool. Um, Scott, who is up here, uh, who is up here leading uh, here in the main uh, this morning, Scott Avey. Um, 1998, he was on a, on a mission team that I was able to lead in, in, in the summer. So he was a high school student, and uh, I was a college student at the time, had an opportunity to lead this team. And uh, it's just really cool to see where he's at now and that, that we get to serve together, you know, that we get to work together. And um, so I just, I just love that. And uh, even, even Jeremy, Jeremy who leads over in the link, um, Jeremy, whenever he was in high school, I was his counselor at a, a conference, um, which is just even crazy to think about. And so I like to take credit for everything that is happening with Scott and Jeremy right now. And so, uh, no, that just really makes me feel old, which is crazy. I can't believe that I'm actually getting to that, that stage and stuff. But it's just awesome to get to, uh, get to serve with them and everything. If you, if you need a Bible today, why don't you go ahead and put your hand up. Um, if you're in the link, too, you can put your hand up. An usher will be around, and they would love to uh, give you a Bible that you could uh, use um, this morning uh, as we just open up the Bible and just can follow along in God's Word. If you don't have a Bible at home, you want to take the Bible home, feel free to take that Bible home with you. I would love just to see you have a Bible in your hand um, this, this morning. Um, what I have in my hand this morning are uh, journals. <clears throat> and uh, these journals actually mean quite a bit to me. Um, we have three kids, um, Ezra, Mercy, and Torah. And uh, what I do um, in these journals is I write to my kids. And um, my plan with, with these journals is to, uh, whenever they graduate from high school and they, um, you know, get ready to move out of the house, I'll be giving this to them as they're going away present. You know, get out of here, you know, and stuff. But I'm <laughs> um, kicking them out. Um, take this with you. Um, but um, what, I'm, what I do uh, with these journals, this is Ezra, this is Mercy, and this is Torah. Right here, and what I do with these journals is, is I just write stuff to my kids. I write um, stuff that I, I just I just want them to know that they have a dad that is just completely in love with them. And um, I write stuff like that in there. I write stuff that I just think is important, um, stuff that that I just want them to know, life lessons that that I'm learning, and I just write them in there to them. Um, Stuff that, I, stuff that I just think is important, mistakes that I've made, uh, just write them in there and saying, don't do this. This is, this is where it'll get you. And so um, and my, my desire is to, to give these to them when they graduate from high school. And uh, so they have something that they can take with them, um, something that they can always have in their hands to know that their dad was crazy about them. That their dad was just absolutely in love with them. And, um, and what's in here is what I want them to know. It's the stuff that I want them to take with them. And so that being said, as we've been um, going through the book of Ephesians over the past couple weeks, I want you to keep in mind that uh, the Apostle Paul, who is the guy that wrote the book of Ephesians, he was crazy in love with the people um, in the city of Ephesus, where, where this uh, letter was written to. He was madly in love, deeply in love with the people that were at that church. You can read about it in Acts chapter 20. Um, don't, you don't have to turn there by any means, but in Acts chapter 20, you can just read about Paul's passion for the people in the city of Ephesus. And he was just crazy 
about these people. And so keep in mind as, as, as we continue today in the book of Ephesians and as we'll go on in the, in the next couple of weeks that Paul is writing to a people that he's just crazy about. And he's writing stuff to them and, he, and he's saying, this is what I want you to know. This is the important stuff. This is the stuff that I don't want you to forget. This is the stuff that I want you to grasp, the stuff that I want you to understand. So keep that in mind as, uh, as, as, we, as we study, as we look in, in the book of Ephesians uh, this morning. You can uh, turn to Ephesians chapter 3. And I'm just going to go ahead and look at um, the first six verses to start out with this morning. Ephesians chapter 3. And we'll start with uh, verse 1, go to verse 6. It says this, says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation as I have already written briefly. And reading this then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. I'm going to stop right there because if you're anything like me, whenever I'm reading just those first five verses, something is jumping out at me and it's the idea of a mystery. Like Paul mentions that a couple times and he's saying there's this mystery that's out there and, and nobody else knew about it, but it's been revealed to me. It's this, it's this mystery. And so that catches my attention. And so as I was reading that, my first question is, okay, what's, what's this mystery all about? Well, you read about it in verse six. It says, this mystery, this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles, Gentiles are you and me, anybody that's not Jewish, is, is a Gentile. The Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. Israel, the Jewish people, God's chosen people. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Jesus Christ. I want to stop right there. And I just want to take just a, a couple of minutes to explain those six verses to you because those six, those six verses are going to lay the foundation for everything that we're going to be hearing today. And so these six verses are really important to understand. And so I want to explain those six verses to you. But to do that, and this is going to sound strange, to do that, I need to talk to you about circumcision. Very strange. But we have some pictures that we're going to go ahead and look at. No, I'm just kidding. No pictures. <laughs> No pictures. Don't have to cover your kids' eyes or anything like that. Um, but circumcision. I need to talk to you a little bit about that so we understand these six verses. Circumcision is, is as much a spiritual concept as it is a physical procedure. Why is that? Because in the Old Testament, God viewed circumcision as a way to identify his people. In the Old Testament, you can read in the Old Testament, just starting in the book of Genesis, you find out that God chose a people, the Jewish people. And he said, you are my people. I am choosing you. And, and, and they didn't do anything to deserve it. And truth be known, throughout the Old Testament, they probably did more not 
to deserve it than they did to deserve it. But God chose them. And, and how that looked is he chose them by going to this one person whose name was Abraham. And he chose Abraham and, and he said this to Abraham in Genesis chapter 17. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read it to you real quick. But God chose Abraham and he said this to Abraham. He said, I will confirm my covenant or my promise with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. This is the everlasting covenant. This is the everlasting promise. Abraham, this is my promise. I am God. When I say something, I mean it. This is my promise to you, Abraham. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. That was God's part of the promise, God's part of the covenant. And then God says, I'm going to hold up to my side of the bargain. This is what I want from you. He says, this is the covenant that you and your descendants must keep. Each male among you must be circumcised. So circumcision was God's covenant to the Jewish people. It was God's way of saying, you have rights. You have rights. You have every right of a child of the most high God. And let me tell you, they ain't no high like the most high. And you have every right as a child of the most high God. And for that reason, the Jewish people revered circumcision because it spoke of a promise. It spoke of rights. It spoke of them being identified as God's people. Now, this is where my imagination kind of runs a little bit. I can only imagine that when, when God said to Abraham, Abraham, this is going to be the sign. The sign is circumcision. I can only imagine Abraham was like, say what? <laughs> you want to do what? You know, you want to cut what? You know, and I can imagine Abraham's probably like, oh, come on, God, this doesn't seem fair. You know, Noah gets a rainbow. Come on, you know, why do I get this? I get stuck with circumcision, you know? What is going on here? And, and I think of this whole, this whole idea of circumcision, and, and it just it honestly makes me laugh because I, I just wonder to myself, where did God get this idea? You know, how did he come up with this? You know, was this like, was this like his own idea or was it like, you know, a brainstorm, like a Trinity brainstorm session, you know, you know, you got God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy spirit, you know, maybe they're in a room and they're sitting down, they're talking, okay, how can we identify my people? Let's see, maybe, how about we have them shave their head and no, no, anybody can do that. How about a special handshake? You know, no, that's too complicated. I got an idea. How about we cut something off there and they're like, yes. Brilliant! You know, that is going to get their attention. You know, that's what I want to do. And so simply put, simply put, that really has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but simply put, circumcision, circumcision was their ID card. It was their form of identification. Now, how they showed it and how often they showed it, I don't care. And we're not going to talk about that. But it identified them as God's people, and it gave them rights. Rights that no one else had. They had access to God like no one else had. God would stand up for them like he would stand up for nobody else. They had rights, 
as the people of God. And so this mystery that we've just read about in Ephesians chapter 3, the mystery was now that circumcision wasn't just a physical procedure, but but circumcision was now a, a spiritual procedure. It was a cutting away on the inside. It was a cutting away of your sinful nature. And now you can be identified with God in a new way. You can be identified with Christ through the promised Holy Spirit, as we saw a couple weeks ago in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. And so now, Jew and non-Jew have the same access to God because of Jesus Christ. And this idea was revolutionary. It was a revolutionary concept to the people back then. The idea that, that anyone... Anyone can have the very Holy Spirit of God living inside of them, marking them as God's chosen people, identifying them with Jesus Christ and allowing access to God and giving them rights. Revolutionary concept at that time. And something that I just find absolutely amazing that just really jumped out at me as I was reading these verses this week. Look at verse 10. Verse 10 in Ephesians chapter 3. It says this, it says, his intent, God's intent was that now through the church, through you and me, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to rulers and authorities in heavenly realms, rulers and authorities in heavenly realms. Who are rulers and authorities in heavenly realms? Those are the spirit beings. Those are angels. Those are demons. Angels and demons alike, look at us. They look at his church. And as they look at us, they're thinking to themselves, I had no idea. I had no idea that that was God's plan all along. That was a mystery. I hadn't, so that's why Jesus left heaven. Wow. That's what God had going on up his sleeve. That's why Jesus left. That's what God had planned. And angels see that. Angels see that. And the Bible says, really cool verse in, in 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1 says that angels look at all of this. They look at all of this and they long to experience it. They long to experience this because you see, as followers of Jesus Christ, we have the very presence of the living God indwelling our lives. We have the very presence of God in our lives. And angels look at that and they, I really believe they think to themselves, they're thinking, man, I wish I had that. Man, don't they understand Don't they understand how blessed they are to have God living inside of them? Don't they understand how powerful they are to have God living inside of them? I wish I had that. And demons look at that. And demons are thinking to themselves, man, I hope they never know they have that. Man, I hope they never understand how blessed they are. And I hope they never understand how powerful they are. Because if they do, we are in trouble. And so it's our job to keep them in the dark. We need to keep them blinded. And let me tell you this. Today, the enemy is trying to keep you in the dark. He is trying to keep you blinded from your rights as a child of God. But not anymore. Who are you going to listen to? Who are you going to listen to, church? Are you going to listen to what God says? Or are you going to let the enemy 
keep you in the dark. Look at verse 14. Verse 14 says this. For this reason, for this reason, because of everything that I just talked about, because of everything that we just discussed, for this reason, because of all of that, I kneel before the Father, from whom, the whole, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all of the fullness of God. Three things. Three things I want us to find from these verses. First one is this. If you are saved, if you are a saved, forgiven follower of God, what I want you to know is you possess everything you need in your life to be victorious. You possess everything you need in your life to be victorious. You are equipped with everything you need for an abundant life because the Holy Spirit of God inhabits you. The Holy Spirit of God dwells inside of your life. Something that I have always found interesting. Jesus said in John chapter 16, you don't have to turn there, but John chapter 16, Jesus said this. This was just like, like a day before he was to get crucified, you know? And so he knows that he's you know, on his last day on, on earth and he's going to be dying. And so he's with his disciples and he's just kind of having some time with them and just sharing deeply with them and just kind of saying the goodbyes and everything like this. But Jesus said in John chapter 16, during that time, he said, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor or the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, I've always found it interesting that, that Jesus would say that it's good for you that I go away. Because that made absolutely no sense to me. Why would it be good for Jesus to go away? Um, and so I was thinking about that. And it was about, a, I don't know, a year, year and a half ago that I was, I was reflecting on that and thinking about that. I, I just think something just, just clicked with me. That, that at that point, from, you know, at that point, Jesus' influence was from the outside in. Powerful influence still. Powerful influence. But Jesus' influence was from the outside in. But whenever he died and he ascended up into heaven, the Holy Spirit came and now his influence is from the inside out. It's from the inside out with the Holy Spirit of God living inside of us. The very presence of God inhabiting our lives. And the Holy Spirit is the key to everything in the life of the believer. And he gives us power in our inner being from the inside out. Now, why would that be important for us? Because one of the biggest reasons for us not experiencing the life that God has for us is because we're trying to change on our own. God offers us a life of being full. He offers us a life of joy. He offers us a life of peace. Jesus said, I, I offer you just an, an abundant life, a life of freedom. 
And one of the reasons that, that we don't experience that is because we are trying to change on our own. Let me tell you, the, the life that God offers you, the, the full life, the, the joyful life, the life of peace, it has nothing to do with you changing your behavior. The life that God offers you has nothing to do with you trying to be a better person, but it has everything Everything to do with you saying day by day, and for some of us, moment by moment, we say to the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, I want to keep in step with you. Holy Spirit, I want to follow your lead. Holy Spirit, I want to hear your voice. God, I just want a passion for you. God, I just want to be consumed with with knowing you. God, I just want, I just want to just, just run and chase and pursue you like I do nothing else. Just be honest, that's what I, I work mainly with, with teenagers here at, uh, at, at the church. And honestly, that, that's what I try to instill in the kids that I work with. Um, if I could be honest, I mean, I'm concerned about, you know, behavior and having them do the right thing, all that stuff. I'm concerned, but I'm, I am not trying to change their behavior. I am not trying to get them to do the right thing. What I am trying to do is get them to fall in love with Jesus and help them to see that there is a God who is passionate about them and there is a God who is absolutely crazy about them. And then if they fall in love with Jesus, if they say that nothing, I don't want to chase anything as much as I chase Jesus, if they do that, all the other stuff is going to fall in place. Everything else will fall in place after You just say, I'm going to run after Jesus like nothing else. But you can't do that without the Holy Spirit working on the inside. The Holy Spirit is given to us to empower our lives and to allow us to live victoriously. Second thing, second thing, we read read this in Ephesians chapter 3. That you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. And what I see, what I see in in those verses there is this, is that God's love is so big. God's love is so ridiculous God's love is so crazy. God is so madly and crazy in love with you that you literally need a supernatural power from God to grasp it. That God is so crazy about you and his love is so big that unless God says, I am going to give you supernatural power, you'll never be able to grasp it. You'll never be able to understand it. But let me tell you this, once you do, it changes things. Once you are able to lay hold of it, and once you are able to grasp it, it changes things. Our daughter, Mercy, every time we pick up our two-year-old daughter from, from her class on, on Sunday mornings, um, we, all, we always ask our kids two questions. Did you have fun today? And what did you learn? When we pick them up from class, did you have fun today? What did you learn? So whenever we pick up our daughter, 
Um, you know, we ask her, Mercy, what did you learn in your class today? Every Sunday, it's always the same answer. Jesus loves me so much. You know, she puts out her arms like this. It's the cutest thing in the world. Two years old, just adorable. But she's like, Jesus loves me so much. You know, every Sunday without fail, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what they were talking about in her class. It's always the same answer. They could have been talking about... They could have been talking about circumcision. I don't know. The answer would have been, Jesus loves me so much, you know, and, and it's just the cutest thing in the world. But seriously, like, what else do you need to know? What else do you really need to know? Jesus loves us so much. And our love for God always grows the more we understand his love for us how high and wide and deep and long is the love of Christ? Let's find out. You can turn in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 103. You can just open up your Bible to, to the middle. You'll most likely hit the book of Psalms and then just find chapter, chapter 103. I'm going to start reading in verse 8. We're just going to find out how high and wide and long and deep the love of Christ really is. Look at verse 8. Psalm chapter 103, verse 8 says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Can I just stop right there and say, thank God. Thank God. God, that he does not treat us the way our sins deserve and according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. How high is God's love? To date, astronomers have been able to find a galaxy that is 13 billion light years away from Earth. So that is the furthest object in the universe that we as as humans have been able to see. 13 billion light years away. And what that means is that object is so far away that if you would travel at the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second, if you would travel that fast, it would still take you 13 billion years to get there. But God's love is higher than that. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. How long... Or how wide, how wide is God's love? How wide is God's love? As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. I don't care how hard you try, you can't turn east into west. East and west will never meet. It will never happen. And so what I'm here to tell you is that if you are carrying baggage in your life, God did not put that baggage there. If you feel like you are trapped in your past, God did not trap you there. God convicts us 
And he'll show us things in our life that, that may make us feel sick and may make us just feel disgusted, may make us feel awful. And if I can just be honest with you, this week as I was preparing for this, I, was, I just had to repent. I just had to just, just be like, because God was showing me so many things in my life where I was just not allowing God to be God. And I just had to fall on my face and just say, God, I am sorry. I'm sorry for that. And God, I repent of that. Forgive me for this. Forgive me for that. Forgive me for that. It was just like thing after thing. God was just showing me stuff. And God shows us things. And it may make us feel sick. It may make us feel, feel, feel disgusted. But God doesn't show us things in our life to hold it over our heads and, and to condemn us and to keep us in shame. That's not why he points sin out in our lives. That's what the enemy does. Big difference between what God does with sin and what the enemy does with sin. The enemy will point stuff out in your life and he will point sin out to you and he will say, look at what you did. You are awful. I can't believe you did that. And look at your past and look at this thing and look at this mistake you made. And he will just beat you and beat you and beat you and beat you down and just try to condemn you and try to keep you in shame. But who are you going to listen to, church? You're going to listen to God and what God does. God points out sin. So that we can just take one last look at it before we kiss it goodbye. That is what God does with sin. Because he says, as far as the east is from the west, that is how far I have removed your past from you. That is how far I have taken your sin from you. That's how much God loves you. How long is God's love? Psalm 103, 17, but from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him. From everlasting to everlasting, there ain't no end to it. It can't be measured. It's from everlasting to everlasting. It can't be measured. And when God says something cannot be measured, you need to pay attention to that. Because if God says it can't be measured, it's pretty big. (laughs) You know, if you read in the, in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, God is all about measurements, it seems. You know, the, I am the exact opposite of that. My three favorite words, that's close enough. Those are my three favorite words. You know, that's why, that's why I'll never be a carpenter. That's why I'll never be a surgeon. That's why I'll never be an accountant. That's why if you come over to our house, any picture that I've hung up, you can look at, and it's probably just a little bit crooked, because as I was hanging it, I was like, yeah, that's close enough. You know, and that's, that's me. That's me. But God is precise. He seems like he is all about measurements. You know, you look in the Bible when God gave Noah the measurements for the ark, like to the inch. Just saying, dude, Craig Kobolesque, you know, if you know Craig, Craig is very about measurements and stuff. But, but just, just too, very precise. If you look at, at the measurements that, that God gave for the temple, like to the inch, very precise. You can even read at the end of, of the book of Revelation when God sends down the new heaven and the new earth. And he's like, this is what you have waiting for you. He even gives you the measurements for that city to the inch. So God is all about measurements. So when you see that God says something can't be measured, you pay attention. And God says, my love for you is so big, don't even bother trying to measure it. It's not worth it. Just accept it. Accept that it's too big for you to understand. How deep is God's love? Psalm 69 verse 15 says, It's deeper than the floodwaters of life that want to drown you. 
It's deeper than the pits of life that want to swallow you. Romans chapter 8 says that no depth can separate us from God's love. And too many times what happens is people hear about this um, immeasurable love for God. And they think that, that that gives them the freedom to do whatever they want. Because if God loves me so much, then it's, I, I can just go and he's going to forgive me and all this kind of stuff. You're wrong. That is not what God's love is about. This type of love doesn't give you the freedom to sin. It gives you the freedom to change. That's what this love is all about. You get to change. You get to be different. You get to be free from your past. And when you finally get God's immeasurable love for you, it will change your motivations. Because instead of trying to live for God out of guilt, out of a sense of, oh, this is what I have to do. I have to do this, or this is what I should do. I I should do this. Instead of living for God out of a sense of guilt, you begin to live for God out of a sense of love, out of a sense of, I want to do that. Do you see the difference? That is what happens when you begin to grasp God's love for us. Our love for him always comes out of his love for us. Last thing. Last thing I want us to see in Ephesians chapter 3. You can go ahead and turn back there to Ephesians chapter 3. But God says that he wants you to be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. To be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Something that I want you to, to, to hear, and if you're taking notes, write this down. Um, all excess, I heard somebody say this, it really just stuck with me. All excess is driven by emptiness. All excess in our life is driven by emptiness. Everything in you is looking to be filled up. Everything in you is looking to be filled in emptiness Emptiness is the reason why so many of us in our lives, emptiness is why we can't eat enough. Emptiness is why we can't starve ourselves enough. Emptiness is why we can't drink enough. Emptiness is why we can't exercise enough or we can't work enough or we can't get thin enough or we can't make money enough or we can't have sex enough or we can't get liked by people enough or sometimes we can't even serve at church enough. Emptiness drives those things. You are not supposed to be empty. God created each of us. I don't know if you've ever felt it, but sometimes in our lives, we just feel this a void. We feel a, a sense of, of longing. We feel a sense of, of emptiness. And, and once you know, God created that in you so that we would take that emptiness and look for him. That all of us kind of have this, this God piece to the puzzle and only the God piece is going to fit it. And so God kind of made a little void in us and kind of made a little emptiness in us so that we would take that emptiness and search for him. But this is how it often works in in our lives. Later, um, in a couple weeks, we're going to be looking at Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, you'll see that we're told to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And next week, we're looking at Ephesians 4. And Ephesians 4 also says that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. Or, or in other words, we can stunt his work in our lives. 
And so what that means is that means I'm saved every day. I'm saved every day, but that doesn't mean I'm keeping in step with him every day. I'm saved every day, but that doesn't mean that I'm following his lead every day. We are as, as filled by the Holy Spirit as we are surrendered to his control. We're as filled by the Holy Spirit as we are surrendered to his control. Let me try to illustrate it to you this way. Uh, this is going to represent us, and you can see we're empty. Uh, this will represent God. And uh, so many of us in our lives, you know, we will um, surrender a little bit of control to God. We'll surrender a little bit of control to the Holy Spirit, and that would look like this. And so we got, you know, we got something in there. And, you know, it kind of helps us to feel a little bit better about ourselves and helps us to feel like, hey, we're doing actually something for God. We're not crazy fanatical about God, you know, but, but we're kind of, you know, we got to feel a little good about ourselves. But what you got to keep in mind, if this represents us, you know, if I'm only doing, you know, that well with surrendering to God and being, being filled with God, there's a whole lot of emptiness left. And you got to keep in mind that we are meant to be filled. We are meant to be full. And so if this is all I'm allowing God to fill up my life, there's a whole lot of emptiness left. And we're going to be taking this cup around every single day. And we're going to be saying, won't somebody fill up my cup? Won't somebody fill this up? Anyone, anything, fill me up. And you know people like this. You know people who are just so draining and just so demanding of your time. And they're always like, fill me up, fill me up, fill me up, you know. And they're just holding their cup out in front of you. And you see people like that. And you know people that are addicted to whatever it may be. And you know people that run from bad relationship to bad relationship. And you know people that are just surrounded with drama. And it's because they're empty. And it's because they're looking to somebody to fill them up. You know people like that. Maybe you are that person. But if this is what happens in our lives, when we surrender full control to the Holy Spirit, he fills us up. And there's no room for anything else. So there's no room for an addiction to fill you up. There's no room for money to fill you up. There's no room for bad relationship after bad relationship to fill you up. Because you're already full. You're already filled to the measure with all of the fullness of God. And this is your right This is what waits for you. This is what you can have. Who are you going to listen to? For so many of us, what happens is you feel so empty that you simply can't look down the road and see your life being any different. For so many of us, we are so 
wrapped up in, in the enemy's web that, that we just can't see anything different. We can't see any way out. And you're probably thinking to yourself, I would love to be different. I would love for that to happen, but, but emptiness is all I know. If that's you, I want you to know verse 20 in Ephesians 3 is for you. Verse 20. Let's look at verse 20 in Ephesians chapter 3. It says this. It says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and Ever. Amen. Now remember, when God says something is immeasurable, you pay attention. Because if God's not going to measure it, then it's so super big. And we need to pay attention to it. And I'm here to tell you that, that what God wants to do in your life is far bigger than what God wants to do through your life. I really believe that. I really believe that what God wants to do in your life is bigger than he wants to do through your life. Because what often happens is, is we will pray these prayers or we'll think these things or say these things. God, I want, I want to do this and God, I want to do that. And God, help me, to, help me to do this. And God, I want to make that happen. And all that stuff is good and all that stuff is great. But I'm telling you, so many times we want God to work through us. We want him to do the big stuff through us, but we don't want him to do the big stuff in us. And, and if your desire is just to have God do big things in you, or I'm sorry, if your desire is just to have God do big things through you, then that desire is driven by your ego. That desire is driven by your pride. That desire is driven by your arrogance. That desire, quite honestly, is driven by your emptiness because you're wanting to have big things just to feel better about yourself. But when you get to a point where you say, God, I want you to do the big stuff in me first. God, I want you to work in me first. I want you to fill me up. Then that's when God will do big stuff through you. I believe any person that you look at and you see them doing really great things in the world, especially really great things for God. If you see those people, I tell you, they allowed God to work in them first. And they followed God's lead and God brought opportunity after opportunity and then began to work through them. So don't get them reversed. Don't want God to work through you, but be unavailable to him to work in you. And so is your, is your Jesus tank low? Are you holding out an empty cup saying anyone, anybody, anything, fill me up? Or are you offering it to Jesus? And are you saying, I want to be filled to the measure with all of the fullness of God. God, I want you to do the work in me first. I want you to cut away all of, the, all of the stuff that, that keeps me from passionately pursuing you. I want you to cut away that stuff first and fill me up with only you. 
so that I can then go out and just live for you the way that you want me to. I want to close um, just like this. Um, I don't know if you noticed that Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through the end of the chapter is actually a prayer. It's a prayer that that Paul prayed um, for the people in Ephesus. And what I want us to do is I just want to I just want us to receive that prayer as a blessing. And so we're gonna we're gonna close our service today just with me praying over you. And for me, some of the most special times in my life were when people just prayed over me. That and I just received you know, their, their prayer. And so that's what I just want to do for you. And so this is how we're going to close our service. And um, so if you're here in the main, go ahead and stand up. If you're in the link, would you stand up as well? And I would just encourage you to, to open up your arms, open up your hands in a posture of receiving and, and just receive this prayer into your life today. Because again, if you are a follower of God, this is your right And the enemy is trying to keep you in the dark. Because if he does, that makes you ineffective. But once our eyes are open to this stuff, God can do immeasurably more than all we would ask or imagine. You can open your hands in a posture of receiving. For this reason, for this reason I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, I pray that each of you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints here at Grace Community Church to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and that each of you would know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Go out and live a full life this week. Have a great week.